Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Uh, well, good morning. My name is Mike, as Rachel said. Uh, so pleased to be here with you this morning. Uh, we're on week two of our teaching series, uh, Stories of Old. And we're taking uh, the summer and a bit of September to get into some of those amazing stories in the Old Testament, some of the stories, lives, and characters that we read about. And we're going to be focusing on what we can learn from them, how we can follow in their footsteps, and most significantly, perhaps, how they point us towards Jesus. And last week, Nick kicked us off brilliantly um, talking about Adam and how we want to be part of the Jesus family, not the Adam's family. And if you haven't checked that out, then do catch up online. And now I have to confess to you that when the preaching rotor came out and I saw that I was down uh, to preach on Abraham, I was a little shocked and surprised because I've got a bit of a traumatizing experience with this story that I'm going to share with you. And so I was looking after um, some friends of ours' daughter, Beth, who was about six or seven, um, and we were doing bath time and bedtime, and we were reading some stories, um, and we read some stories, and we came to the Bible, and so I handed her a Bible, very much like this one, and she flicked through the pages, and she took a very long time to choose, and she chose one, and with a big smile on her face, she said, this one, I want to read this one. And so I said, okay, let's go for it. And, um, and she began to read, and she started. She said, it's called The Present. And I thought, what a lovely story. And so she started to read, and she said, God knew that his secret rescue plan could only work if Abraham trusted him completely. God had to make sure that Abraham would do whatever he asked. So a few years later, God asked Abraham to give him a present. Sounds like a lovely PG story, doesn't it? And so she carried on reading. The parents in the room know where this is going. Um, she began to read, Abraham liked giving presents to God. He gave him animals. They were called sacrifices. And they were to say, I love you to God. But this time, God didn't want a lamb or a goat. Um, God wanted Abraham to give him something much more. He wanted Abraham to give him his son, his only son, the son that he loved, Isaac, to put his boy on an altar and kill him as a sacrifice. <laughs> and at this moment in time, Beth, who was reading so beautifully, took a very, very quiet pause. And I could see the cogs working in her brain. And she looked up at me and went, what? <laughs> and I froze um, and thought for a very long time, and like all good babysitters, I turned around and said, you'll have to ask your mum and dad, let's choose another story. And then we never spoke about it again. <laughs> but the thing is, um, the thing is, Beth was very right to question. She was very right to say, what on earth is going on here? Because the facts of this story were brutal. The facts were that Abraham had given up everything to follow God for this promise that he'd given him, that he would give him many, many descendants. The facts were that he was now 99 and his wife, Sarah, was 90. The facts were that Isaac was his only son. And the facts were that God was coming and saying, give me your only son. Give me your only chance or your seeming only chance of this promise, this fulfillment coming to life. Sacrifice your only son to me. 
The facts were brutal. The facts were that they'd struggled to conceive their whole lives. They were now 99 and 90. There was no chance of them popping out any more children anytime soon. And yes, my wife will be standing up saying, excuse me, children do not pop out. But, <laughs> but the facts were that everything was going crucially wrong. Was this the end of his waiting? Was Abraham to finally realize that this promise that he had given up everything for was coming to nothing? Was he about to be the end of him being a father? Was he about to lose his son? Was he about to probably lose his marriage when Sarah finds out what he has done in this moment? Surely all of the facts, all of the facts surrounding him would lead him to only one decision. Surely any sane person would do the same thing in this situation. They would run away. They would run away and save themselves. They would save their son. They would save their marriage. They would run. Or maybe, if they were feeling really faithful, they might plead with God. They might say, God, could you choose something else? Could you change what you're asking me to do here? Maybe they would do that. But let's see what happens. Let's um, carry on reading in an authorised version of the text um, and see what happens in Genesis 22. It's going to come up on the screen so you can follow along. Verse 3 onwards, it says this. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up to his father and said, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Even Isaac in this moment is questioning the facts. Even Isaac is looking around at the facts and saying, what is going on here? How can this possibly end right? Where is the offering? But Abraham comes back and Abraham says, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac up and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Let's just pause there for a moment. I know you want to know what happens, but we're just going to pause. Because in this moment, while facing all of the facts, while facing all of the situations, all of the circumstances, everything that he knew about this moment, Abraham chose faith. When staring in the face of all of the chaos, everything that was seemingly going wrong, all of the facts that told him he should do otherwise, he chose faith. And this is remarkable faith and trust in God. Trusting God with his all, with everything that he has, with his only son. When all around him, everything was telling him he should probably do the opposite, Abraham trusted God. He chose to remember the promise that God had given over his life, to remember the things that God had taught him all the years that he is good, that he is faithful, but, and he chose to trust in God. And I'd love us just for a second to just focus in on verse 8, uh, which hopefully might be able to come up on the screen again, because it's interesting because I think a lot of us would look at this passage 
Uh, and in a lot of the translations that we look at, it says, God himself will provide. And that leads quite a lot of us to say, well, maybe Abraham knew. Maybe he had some more facts that we don't read in the text that give him that little bit of extra faith to trust in God. Maybe he had a prophetic word. Maybe God had spoken to him before and we don't quite know. And, and the fact is, even if that were true, even if Abraham did have a prophetic sense that God was going to provide in the moment, it would still have taken an immense amount of faith. But the thing is, it actually doesn't mean that. Because when we look back at the Hebrew word, the word provide doesn't mean provide. It actually means see, appear, or show. And so what it actually means in this moment is that it says God will appear. God will see to it, or God will show in the moment. And so the truth is that Abraham had no idea the answer to, Abra to Isaac's question, who will provide the offering. Abraham was in that moment was saying either, either God will provide an alternative sacrifice, or if he doesn't, he has a plan, and I'm going to trust in him. He trusts either way. And following God requires a lifetime of walking the tension between the facts of life and the faith in God and the promises that he had for us. And Abraham is a stunning example of this. Time after time after time in Abraham's life does he choose faith over facts. Early on in Genesis 12, when God first comes to Abraham and says, follow me and I will give you a family, I will give you descendants. But in order to do that, leave your family and leave everybody that you know. Paradoxically, he says, leave everyone and I'll bless you with descendants and Abraham trusts. And then a little bit later on in Genesis 15, still childless, Abraham comes to God and said, God, what's going on here? You've promised me descendants and I don't see this. And God kind of one-ups the promise and said, you see the, the stars in the sky, as many as you can count, I will give you descendants. And so this promise becomes even crazier and Abraham trusts. And then a little bit later on, in Genesis 17, he comes to God again, saying, what's going on here? Can you show me again? And God says, circumcise yourself and everyone that you know. And he just trusts blindly and does it. And now, hear me, I want to follow Jesus as much as the next person. But if God ever tells someone to come near my private parts with a knife, I am running a mile. I am not trusting. <laughs> Abraham had facts in his face, but all of the time he chose faith. Everywhere the facts in his life were telling him that following God was a problem, that it wasn't going to end well, and he chose faith. And how many of us in this room today or watching online are facing facts that would tell us that God isn't real, God isn't interested in you, God doesn't have a good plan for you, the things that you put your hope in aren't true, yet we have to choose faith. We have to choose faith in the face of the facts that tell us otherwise. The Bible and our faith says that we should give to God, that we should trust God with our finances, yet everywhere we look, we're in a cost of living crisis. The Bible tells us that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to Jesus, yet everywhere we look, the facts tell us that our friends, our families, our colleagues don't know Jesus. God tells us that he'll protect us, yet the facts are everywhere we look, there's death and destruction and chaos. The Bible says that a cord of three strands cannot easily be broken, yet the facts are marriages are failing at an alarming rate. The Bible tells us that God has a plan for you, a plan to prosper you, not to harm you, to see you succeed, 
Yet how many of us have been in seasons of work where we just feel like the job that we have is not where God is calling us, but we don't know where he's calling us or when that's going to look like. You could fill in the blanks. There are so many times and it is so easy. I can see you nodding in agreement that there will be things in your life where the facts are contrary to your faith, where the facts make it look like God is not showing up, he is not appearing, he is not proving to you that he is good and faithful, but we have to choose faith in the moment because that's what following Jesus is all about. Following Jesus is this tension between holding the facts and the faith. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. It honestly really isn't faith until we don't see the thing that we're believing for. When we see it, the faith is almost gone. <laughs> and you know, this, this year, I've, I've struggled through this year, if I'm honest. I'm on the tail end of, of some burnout, of quite a difficult season. And, and I've been in a season where I've been focusing on the facts of life. I've been focusing on some of the pain of my life, of some of my upbringing, of a distant father of pain and hurt and rejection, a confused identity, and, and it's made my insecurities run riot. It's got to the point where times it's felt like my mind has been completely crippled and compromised by the facts swirling around in my head. And it doesn't mean that none of the facts weren't true. It doesn't mean that there haven't been situations that need adjustment or change or work, but it's meant that a lot of them have been completely blown out of proportion because I lost the faith that was anchoring me in the swirling of the facts. And I'd love to stand here now and tell you that it's all resolved and it's all fine and everything's been at work, but it's not true. There are so many things in my life that I am longing for God to see, to hear, to deliver me from, to bring freedom to. And, and I think it's going to be a journey of going for a long time and in a season of reaffirming my faith over so many areas of my life. And you know, it's interesting because Abraham waited 25 years for the fulfillment of God's promises. Some of the stuff that I'm journeying with, I've been waiting and pleading daily for 15 years, and I'm facing the fact of going, some of this stuff might be a lifetime of pleading with God and waiting for him to prove his faithfulness. And it's costly. Like, this trust in God is costly. For me, personally, it's taking uh, risk, it's taking time, it's taking energy, it's taking difficult conversations, it's taking money for counselling, it's taking being vulnerable with my shame in conversations with people. And I think too often we want the promises of God or the fulfilment of God's promises without being willing to embrace the cost or the sacrifice, the trust, the element of trust that is costly. And believing God isn't easy. Trusting God isn't easy. Following Jesus isn't easy. Let's just own that for a second. It takes risk, it takes sacrifice, and it takes cost. You know, Peter walking on water is actually a really good example of this. You know, everything around him told him, if you step out of this boat, you are going to sink. Everything that he'd ever learned in his whole life would tell him, step out of the boat and you'll sink. But it took risk and trust for him to trust Jesus and step out. In order for Jesus to be allowed the um, option to show that he is faithful to his word, Peter had to step out and risk. At best, he risked humiliation. At worst, he risked his life. But he took the opportunity to risk and to step out. And where for Peter the sacrifice was potential hum humiliation, I wonder what it might look like for us in the room. I wonder what that sacrifice and that trust could look like. Maybe it's um, our time. Maybe it's our pride, our comfort. Maybe it's laying down our insecurities. Maybe it's a change of job that God's calling, calling you into. Maybe it's surrendering something that's become an idol. 
And of course, Abraham is such a beautiful example of what true sacrifice and true trust in God looks like. Willing to have faith over the facts time and time again, even to the point of risking his son, his only son, his very flesh and blood, he was willing to sacrifice it in order for God to prove who he is. Let's read on and see what happens to Abraham in this story. It says this uh, in verse 10 onwards. So then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up there and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord came to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, you have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. So in this moment, after all of the trust, after all of the sacrifice, after staring the cold facts of the situation in the face, assessing all of them and trusting anyway, sacrificing, God shows up. God comes powerfully and proves that he is who he says he is. After the worry, after the anguish, after the trusting, God proves that he is good to his word. And do you note that it's really interesting that he shows up at the very last minute. God has a way of doing that, of turning up at the very last minute. And some of you in this room have been waiting for a long time. You've been waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises for what feels like a lifetime. It feels like it's getting close to the wire. It feels like the knife is about to come down and you're running out of time. But I want to tell you today that there is still time because God is good to his word and he shows up even if it is in the last minute. He always proves that he is faithful. We worship a God who is faithful. We worship the King of Kings, the creator of the universe. And the facts of life are often very temporary, but we worship an everlasting God that has his eyes on eternity. And some of you need to hear that today, that if you trust him, he will show up. If you lay it down to him, he will be faithful. And we know this, we know this because the incredible thing about this story of Abraham and his God and his son and his faith and his sacrifice is not just about Abraham, but it is about us here today as well. Let me explain as the band um, want to come up. So back in Genesis 15, Abraham made this initial promise. Um, sorry, God made this initial promise to Abraham that he would give him as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And what they did to kind of seal this promise was this thing called the cutting of the covenant. And it was the thing that people did in Abraham's day when one person made a promise to another. They would do this ritual and they would get um, a cow, a goat, and a ram, and they would split them in half, literally, I know, gruesome, and they would line them up on the floor. And then these two people would walk through them together as a way of saying, if either one of us does not uphold our end of the bargain, let this happen to us. Let us be split in two if we don't uphold our promise. And so Abraham and God do this thing where they make this promise together, where God says, I'm going to bless you and give you many descendants. And so they cut the covenant. They do the splitting of the animals. But God does something extraordinary. He puts Abraham to sleep 
And in Abraham's sleep, in his dream, God walks through the animals by himself. And what God is doing in this moment when he comes through by himself, he is saying, even if you are not faithful, even if you do not uphold your end of the bargain, I will uphold my end of the bargain. I will always be faithful to you and the promise that I have made to you, even if it means I myself have to be split in two. And now some of you are seeing where this is going because this is mirrored in the Abraham and Isaac story with the potential sacrifice of Isaac and God showing up and providing alternative sacrifice. But of course, this covenantal promise that God made with Abraham, it wasn't just with Abraham, it was with him and all of his descendants. It was with you and it was with me. God was saying in that moment, even though you, even though I are an unfaithful bunch of people who wander and walk and lose faith and question and doubt, God will remain faithful. God will prove his faithfulness to us time and time again, even if it costs himself, even if it costs him splitting himself in two. And then of course we see this fulfilled most perfectly in Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane has to struggle with the facts of him going to the cross. And the facts were that he was going to be hung on a cross. The facts were that he was going to be killed. The facts were that it was going to be brutal and excruciating and painful. But the faith, the faith was that he was going to rise again three days later. And in that moment, all the promises of God would be fulfilled forever and ever. Amen. That he would provide for us and be faithful. The crucifixion of Jesus is the ultimate expression of trusting in God. And here's the key thing. Jesus, Jesus is the fact on which we can trust. So in the face of all of the other facts of life, Jesus is the one that we can trust. Because Jesus was split in two so that God can provide his promises to us. And so we can stand on that when the storms rage. He is the one that we can trust in. I'd love us to stand and we're going to spend some time praying together. Great, why don't you come and join us as well. And the thing is, this is, uh, this is difficult stuff, right? We just need to own that. Some of us have been doing this for a really long time and, and actually sometimes it can feel like it's easier to someone if you go, oh, you've been following Jesus for ages, so you know how this goes. But actually, I think it's harder the longer you do it because I think faith in God and trusting in God is a little bit like an onion. You know, you feel like you've peeled away some of the layers and you've sacrificed and you've trusted and, and you feel like it's done. And then you realize, oh no, there's a whole load more trust that I need to gain, that I need to learn. And then you have to start the process all over again. And I wondered actually if there's some people in the room here today who just think you've got like a bit of fatigue in trusting in God a bit of fatigue in, in the cost, in the sacrifice of the pain that it takes to go through the process until you see God provide and you feel like you don't have it in you anymore, well, we'd love to pray for you. And maybe there's some of you, as I've been speaking, you just know beyond a doubt there's a thing in my life that I know that I'm trusting God for and I just need someone to come alongside me and pray that my faith would be anchored, that the facts would look a little bit smaller and my faith would become a little bit bigger. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. 
If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church. <laughs>